Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of the Indie Diarist Podcast, a show on the human stories behind indie game development. Speaking to you today is your loyal Indie Diarist, Anthony L. Wolf, writer, narrative designer, and senior content manager in social media, as you guys already know. And today's episode is with a lovely solo dev from the United Kingdom based in Essex. His name is Chaz, and he reached out to me via Twitter, which is now X, unfortunately. Uh, and uh, I decided to host him on the show because his passion is just incredible. You'll see as you listen to this episode. Now, before we dive into that, here's a tiny little reminder from me, which is the Indie Diaries is an entirely listener-supported show and will likely remain so for quite a while. So the Patreon page for the Indie Diaries is now live and has been so since August. So you can go onto patreon.com slash the Indie Diaries like that without dashes or spaces and uh, check out all the lovely uh, little tiers that I've designed for you, which include everything from um, preview access to all episodes before they go live, behind the scenes content and a lot more. And of course, I'd like to take this chance to shout out to my first two patrons, Angelisa, the admin of the Indiverse community, and Zagini, developer of Folklands, a beautiful resource management sim. But without further ado, let's get into today's episode with Chaz, a developer from the UK. Alright, hello everybody and welcome to a new episode of the Indie Diaries podcast, a show on the human stories behind indie game development. I've got a new guest joining me today and his name is Chaz and uh, I'll just send it over to you, Chaz. Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, what you do and where you're based and uh, what you're doing right now. Cool. Uh, thanks, Anne. Uh, well, my name is Chaz. Uh, I'm an independent video game developer and uh, I would say aspiring musician, but it's just something that I can kind of work into my games as well so it's just something that I do on the side um I'm based in the UK um I've been making games pretty much full time since around 2009 um but learning a lot about uh how to make them uh for many years before that and uh going back even further I guess uh ever since I was a kid I've been making games and board games and, and sorts so, uh, yeah, just as I got older and, and sort of technology became more available, I just sort of uh, lent into it because I was passionate about it and have been lucky enough to make a career out of it. Amazing. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that, I, I think that already answers some of the questions that I had further down the line, but, <laughs> but we'll, get, we'll get into them uh, as we go. So there's one question that uh, if you listen to my previous episodes, you'll know I ask every single guest as an icebreaker to open these episodes, which is... What's one game you think everyone should play at least once? That's an easy question. It's got to be Final Fantasy VII. It's, All right, okay. It, it's, it's just... It's the pinnacle of, of everything that is good about video games, in my opinion. I think the writing is amazing. The music is timeless. Oh, yeah. even, even down to uh, the way that they... They broke the sort of technological barriers with the FMV sequences and the the backgrounds. And mm -hmm. to me, even the charm of the blocky characters, I think it's just, it's the best game ever made. I'm extremely passionate about it. I've even got a couple of tattoos about Final Fantasy oh, VII. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, what, but, what are your tattoos? Uh, like, what have you got? Uh, well, I've mostly just got a sleeve of uh, sort of neo-traditional sort of nice. Sailor Jerry stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, one of them is I asked my artist to do me like a, a feather in a in a vial. So okay. it's sort of like a phoenix down. Mm -hmm. And I've got the seven from the logo tattooed on my oh, index. Oh, great. Finger. Okay. Yeah. okay. Good stuff. Good stuff. Right. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's definitely a good a good game to pick because it's 
definitely one of my favorites. Uh, probably one of my favorite Final Fantasy ever. Um, Final Fantasy games ever. Uh, and yeah, no, I totally agree. So, and just out of curiosity, what are your thoughts on the remake? Because I loved it until the very strange twist at the end. But yeah, <laughs> I think. Well, yeah. The funny thing is, and I'm actually haven't played it. I haven't played right, it yet. Okay. No, no, right. I've been meaning to. I played the demo. Um, there was a demo on PS4, and I, I, I gave. I, I don't actually have a PS4 with my brother, so I just sat down and downloaded right. it and gave it a quick go. Um, from what I played from it, it was it was good. Uh, it felt sort of a lot like Final Fantasy XV to me. Um, mm -hmm. It was very, very action orientated mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. But yeah, I haven't really been able to properly uh, dive into it. It's something. It's you know, you know what have, like having a backlog of games is yeah, like. It's, no. it's on a perpetual <laughs> no, uh, to do list. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but I'm excited. I'm excited to play it. I think what I'm probably doing is holding out for all the pieces to be released. And then I'm just going to sort of That's smart. Uh, yeah. do them all in one. I'm, I'm happy enough to do that because I've got enough to be getting through at the same time. I'm also a little bit scared about playing it because I don't want to tarnish <laughs> the amazing. Well, um, uh, I, I see what you mean. And uh, what I can say is that you're in for a ride um, because uh, it's I, I loved it. Honestly, I think they've done an amazing job. The, there was a lot of love that went into making uh, doing this remake. Um, there are a few bits that don't really work for me, but you'll see once you play them. I think the smart thing is to wait for all three parts to to be released if you want to wait that long, and then you dive into it and play it all, all at once. But uh, but yeah, it looks like there's a, there's a clear vision behind this re remake, and uh, I would say it's not going to tarnish your experience of the original because that's pretty much very well etched into my heart. It's going to be a good... A good remake with some differences that you'll notice, but yeah, it's... What, uh, what system did you play on? Oh, PS4. Uh, okay, because um, I've been yeah. lucky enough to sort of get hold of a Steam Deck lately, and it's Ooh. supposed to be like really good on Steam Deck, and I'm, I, I don't know whether it would be good to play on a big screen or whether it would be quite cool to play on a handheld, mm -hmm. so... Yeah, well, yeah. that's... Uh, I've, I haven't got a Steam Deck, but yeah, I've heard that it's incredibly good for a lot of different games, so it's... Uh, amazing what they were able to do but yeah so uh this has become a podcast about final fantasy 7 or <laughs> i'm happy about that <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. uh but yeah so i guess that this answers my next question too which is which games do you remember playing growing up and do you think they had an influence on your work funny enough your your game is sylvester versus little beasy and i played it uh as you sent um a copy to me using the steam curator system and not a lot of people on this podcast uh, who listen to this podcast will know that I do have a Steam curator page uh, named The Indie Diaries in Steam, where people sometimes send me um, indie games to, to try and review. And uh, yours was one of those. And uh, um, I don't say yes to all of them because I just don't have the time, but yours, I wanted to try because, well, first of all, you left a nice message with it, but also uh, I, I loved the impact of the art style and such, but it's very different from a JRPG. So <laughs> I'm wondering what's... What kind of games did you play growing up, going back to the question? And uh, do you think they had an influence on the kind of things that you're doing now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first off, thanks for your really kind words about the game. Um, and yeah, they've, they've definitely uh, had an influence. There's little, I've put little references and Easter eggs in, in uh, my, my games throughout the years. So Sylvester versus Lil Beasy that you were playing on Steam, that's my first Steam release. Um, but before that, I was making flash games for 
oh, I don't know, about 10 years maybe. For for about a decade, I was plying my trade with sort of online browser games on Newgrounds and Congregate and things like that. And a lot of those games have uh, references either character names or or small parts tucked away um that reference my my favorite games and pretty obviously there's there's a lot of final fantasy 7 stuff in there if you dig deep enough uh some of it's quite <laughs> obscure and some of it's kind of just for my own uh gratification i guess but yeah they're in there um right as far as games that i played growing up i think I, they do influence me. Every game that I play influences the way that I design things in certain ways because it's 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 good to get a broad range of uh, of experiences. And then if you encounter some kind of problem, you can say, "Oh, well, how does this game do it?" or "How does that game do it?" And then you can kind of put them all together uh, if that makes sense. It could be something simple, like if if you've you've got a, a weapon system and you think, well, how would be the most effective way to change weapon with the control scheme that I've got? And then you think, ah, oh, well, I don't know, the weapon wheel in, in GTA or something like that is quite an mm-hmm. elegant solution or or anything like that, really. And then you can you can pick and choose. So I would definitely say that the games that I've played uh, have have or the games that I've played lately have influenced uh the design that i'm doing at the moment uh games that i played when i was growing up i think they're things that i'd always want to make so for instance i would say that my my top games were uh pokemon red right um mm-hmm. the original grand theft auto the sort of top down uh 2d thing um another one is sort of along the jrpg lines which is suicoden and they've all got um parts in that i would love to put into a game um but they're all quite big and being an indie it's kind of difficult to get such grand ideas into into games so for instance in suico then you're you're going around and you're recruiting characters and building up a castle or gta it's an entirely open world Uh, pokemon as you know in in red you know there's 150 monsters and a whole story and things like that and that things like that as an indie they take a lot of time they take a lot of planning um and coming from a flash game background it's kind of difficult to make those kind of games Mm -hmm. but the influence i would say that the influence is there the aspiration to be able to do something like that it's constantly sort of uh gnawing away in the back of my head and i would love to do something a bit larger scale uh like that i suppose right yeah so well the, there will be an, uh, a question about that near the end but uh, you're not the first person who says that uh, you've started in flash and i've had a, a couple recently they said oh yeah i was doing games for Newground and uh and, and all of those and uh of course all the influences from your from your childhood i'm i'm sure they will be there and they will come through when it comes to and about the the uh, weapon wheel in gta i think that, that i agree with you that's a very interesting design choice because i i can remember when uh, like for example gta san andreas or vice city you just had the you just had to scroll manually through mm. all of your weapons using r1 or l1 if you were in pc maybe your your mouse wheel but you didn't have like a wheel where you could just jump from one weapon to another that quickly so that mean that that usually meant memorizing exactly where your next what your next weapon was supposed to be, um, and uh, your muscles would get there. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's a very elegant design choice that one. Totally agree with you. And what 
when did you realize in all this journey that you wanted to be a game developer? Was there like a specific epiphany moment or was it, did it just happen over time? Oh, that's, that's a great question. I mean, I was always sort of uh, creative. I was always making things when I was like really young. I was always designing board games. And the, the first game that I made on a computer was... Uh, on a on a spreadsheet it was a choose your own adventure and uh it was i'd write the story and then i'd say to do this go to line 91 on the spreadsheet i was only a kid and then i would save it to <laughs> floppy disk and then i would design a um like a cover and box art and i would basically create an entire game i'd create the whole product and i was only you know i was only a child but i i was interested in the whole I used to, and another really silly thing is and this is you know growing up in the 90s for you you don't get it so much now but when games used to come with like not just instruction manuals but they would be they would be part of the experience they would be part of the game you would buy a game and it would come in a in a nice box with yeah. an instruction manual and sometimes extras and things like that and it would be a whole package and the whole thing was really inspiring and i just liked everything about it i liked the whole creativity of it i liked the way that you could just build up a world outside of the game as well through the manual or, or with something that it came with. So I was always doing little bits like that. I've still got some of them tucked away somewhere, mm -hmm. some of my old uh, things like that. But I think being interested in stuff like that and little Warhammer figures and things like that, it all <laughs> just sort of came together. And then it, making video games felt like the best way to be able to uh do that i suppose if that mm. makes sense like it's it was the most accessible way to i mean you can do the artwork you can do the music you can do everything and then you can put it all into one package and then you can put it on the internet and then you know literally millions of people can can see it and when you're starting when it's something that you're making in your bedroom and then it's getting millions of hits it's quite yeah, it's quite unreal. And it just seems like that was the most effective way um, to be able to, I don't know, tell, I don't want to sound corny, but to tell the stories that I wanted to tell. Because, I mean, if you look at some of my games, I mean, some of them don't have stories, but there's a few where, you know, you can see that there's a, there's a message that I'm trying to convey and things mm -hmm. like that. And, yeah, I think, Anthony, that it was just more... A, a, it was a great way to concentrate uh, an abundance of creativity you know mm -hmm. yeah and i think the magic of video games is that that as a kid especially you don't realize how much work goes into publishing oh, a video absolutely. game it's like mm. you, you 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 get a game you get it in the nice box and actually someone worked on that box someone designed that box in the first place and then someone worked on the art someone worked on the on the handbook and uh, and a little manual that maybe you got in the in those games in the 90s and i still have some from i think i have i still have the original crash bandicoot manual from because i had like the the um i've had them in a nice box myself when for, for ps1 um for the ps1 console and and someone did the illustration someone did the game itself someone did the publishing and sales, someone did the marketing and all of that in the end you realize it's a huge machine that allows things like games but also books and other things to actually come to the world and uh, when when you realize that you want to be a part of that, it's always a magical moment. So I do absolutely relate with what you say. 
um, it's uh, it's it's a great place to be. Uh, did you how how did you become a game developer? As in, how did did you study actual game development, or did you just do self taught at some point and just roll with it? Uh, well, I I left school when I was eleven years old, um, mm-hmm. and I kind of I was uh, homeschooled for a bit, and then kind of it was just. Uh, basically just sort of growing up in a school of life, I suppose. And I just mm-hmm. I pursued the things that I was passionate about. And right. um, I used to read a lot of uh, video game magazines. Uh, oh, used me to be too, a, yeah. Yeah, like uh, I think the the top one, which, which is pretty cool, actually, There's a there was a TV show in the 90s in Britain called uh, Games Master. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, which had a famous astronomer called Patrick Moore, and he was the, he was a brain and you would have people go on the show and they would ask him for tips and things like that. And it was also a really big magazine in the UK as well. And I was lucky enough, I used to read a lot of this. Um, and I sent in a game idea to them in 2004 or 2005. They used to have a section where you could send in game ideas and they would publish it. And I remember getting up at about six in the morning once and I sent them off my game idea. And then I got an email back. And it said that the message wasn't delivered. You know, when you send off an email, oh, yeah, it says, yeah. oh, your email mm-hmm. wasn't. And I thought, oh, I spent so, I got up early and I spent hours writing up this game pitch and then it wasn't delivered. And I thought, ah, oh. anyway, I was reading through the Games Master magazine issue like the month after or something like that. And they published it. So they'd obviously received oh, it. Oh, um, okay. And, and then I think it was in, I think it was the, what? Oh, I don't want to get this wrong. It was, a th- I think it was the 300th issue of Games Master magazine or something like that. I got in touch mm-hmm. with Robin Valentine, who was the editor of Games Master at the time, and they ended up doing a, a full page spread, uh, basically showing my original game idea that I sent in when I was a kid. And then uh, it was a, a screenshot and an interview of where I'd come because I was a full time game developer at the time. Mm-hmm. So that was a kind of cool thing. There was, but anyway, that was, sorry, I was sidetracked a bit there, but. Oh, it's, uh, it's absolutely beautiful story. There. <laughs> I wasn't expecting anything like that. It was quite, um, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a, it was a moment, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, I used to read a lot of games, magazines, games master being the, uh, the primary one. And, um, they had a section in there. Um, and it was funny enough, you were talking about uh, San Andreas, GTA San Andreas, and it was like this whole Bigfoot conspiracy and things like that. Oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and somebody, they posted up this rumor and it had a link to a website um, where you could find out more. So I went on the website and it it was a pro boards website. I don't know if you've heard of pro boards, but basically, I don't know if it still exists. It might do, but you could go on there and you could set up your own website. You could set up your own forum for mm-hmm. free. So that led me to pro boards. So I started doing pro boards and then I got that led me into the design community. And then long story short, it, it was, everybody was battling for as many members as they could get for their community. <laughs> and then yeah. it, it, there was, it turned out that the best way to do it was to make flash games because somebody who had thousands of people as members on their board they were making and distributing flash games. So I ended up looking into that as a method of trying to get more eyes on my design forum. Silly when I think about it. I mean, you know, but it kind of led me down this path. And then I started to look at some of the flash games that were out. Um, some of that early new ground stuff and 
some of the stuff that was on Miniclip at the time. And Miniclip, yeah. <laughs> and I just, I remember thinking, everything is there. Everything, the interactivity is there. I can go online and I can play a game. But these are amateur. These are, these are clearly made by somebody on their own in their bedroom or something mm-hmm. like that. And I remember looking at it and thinking, I can do that. And I could, uh, as a 14 year old, I was looking at it and thinking, <laughs> I, can, I think I can do this better because, you know, I, I, would, it wouldn't, I wouldn't want it to be amateur, you know, because the artwork was crude and the sound was bad. And I mean, it, it, little did I know at the time how really difficult it was to actually yeah. make something even just to that level. But it set me on a path, Anthony, and then I ended up um, just teaching myself how to draw within Flash, which is a program that I still use for my artwork to this day. I use Macromedia Flash 8, which is why it still looks like uh, my games come straight from out of 2008 <laughs> because it's the same tools. Um, so I learned how to code action script. I learned how to draw in Flash. And then just over the years, working with people and sort of improving my work. And then it just led me to where I am now, really. Right. Well, I wasn't expecting uh, this this kind of, of story. It's definitely interesting that you started from reading game magazine, which is pretty much my same my same path, except I'm not... I'm doing games on the side rather than as part of my full-time job but yeah i also started reading games magazines thanks to my uncle who bought a lot of them so then i started buying them myself and then i started getting into games and i started writing about games online so i for a while i I wrote about games online and then i realized i actually wanted to do them so i started writing stories for um for games and now here i am basically doing it as my side project maybe one day i will be a full-time dev myself um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's always great to approach an industry from just the, the fringes, if you, if you get yeah, what I mean. I totally uh, get that. And, yeah. uh, yeah. And then, and then you start learning how it works and all of that. But yeah, it's interesting that you still use Flash to, to yeah. do your art. That's, <laughs> that, that's, that's incredible. And in terms of now let, let's get into your current project or, or actually your first release, uh, your first team release, which is Solvester and, and versus Little Busy. Uh, what led to the development of that game? Was there a specific idea of something that sparked the inspiration or did it just come like that at some point, seeing maybe a random artwork online? Well, the thing with Sylvester is it came from a game jam. Um, So when the pandemic, you know, we hit the pandemic in 2020 and I used it as an opportunity because it was around the same time that Adobe stopped supporting Flash as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd been making Flash games for so long and then it turns out that actually it's like it's not viable anymore. I can't do it um, because it just won't be supported. So I thought I need to learn how to make games like purely on my own um, because with Flash, I used to do the artwork um and team up with a programmer mm-hmm. but a lot of the time uh it would i would be let down in some way so I, I would spend hundreds of hours creating assets for a game that i planned to release on sort of plat, uh 
home home consoles and PC and things like that. So I'd have all these assets, and then for whatever reason, the program would duck out, and then right. I'd be left with hundreds of hours of work and nothing to do with it, and it would be a complete waste of time. And it would be for a game that I was desperate to make as well. So I figured during uh, lockdown that I should teach myself as much as I can to be able to do everything that I can. Um, so I entered uh, Ludum, I don't know how to say Ludum it. Diary, I don't know if it's, yeah, yeah, it's Ludum, yeah, Ludum Diary Game Jam. Um, and I, I went in for the 72 hour one and I thought, well, I'll, I'll go in for it and I'll use Game Maker um, because with Game Maker, I can do the artwork in Flash, put it into Game Maker and I can do the coding as well and the music and i'll be able to do everything myself and if mm. it comes out rubbish it comes out rubbish <laughs> but i'm going to test myself um and another rule that i made for myself was that i would uh, i wasn't going to ask anybody for any help because it's good it's good to go on the discord and if you've got a problem you can ask the game maker community is brilliant and you can go on the discord and you can ask them say oh this isn't working how does this work and they'll be happy to help you with it you know but i thought for the game jam i'm testing myself with this so i've got 72 hours i'm going to do everything myself so i entered that game jam um and out of it game came a game called don't kill death or die trying mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a character in it called Sylvester, who I'd been sitting on for a while. I really wanted to do something with him. So I made this little game jam with him. Uh, it was my first ever game jam, my first thing that I'd ever finished in Game Maker. And it got voted uh, third for fun out of nearly nice. yeah. five, it was either 5,000 entries. Well, and I can 000. testify that the final result of okay, that came out of the game jam, so the, your, your Steam release, is indeed very fun. Uh, so I could say I, I I can see why they voted it fun, even though it was just a game jam. So yeah. Well, the the Ludum Dare thing, the the whole lockdown thing, that that I wanted to do something more with that character, and I was working on a blockchain project, or I am I'm still working on it. It's called Crittercraft. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm working on it with a guy called uh, Gaz, who made some really big Flash games. He made Super Stacker and Red Remover, and they got like billions of views online and we teamed up to do Crittercraft. And then this other game jam came along and I thought, well, I'm going to take a break from this and I'm going to spend two weeks making this new game. And this turned out to be Sylvester versus Lil Beezy. And mm. I worked so hard on it, Anthony. I was, I was <laughs> up like almost every hour I would sleep on the couch for like a few hours and then I would get up and I'd go straight back to work. I was work for the two weeks. I worked almost every hour. I'm mm-hmm. not even exaggerating. I would stop to take my dog for a walk. I would stop for lunch and then I would get a few hours sleep and I worked really, really hard on it. Um, cause it was a 10 grand prize for the top, um, game. And I really wanted it. <laughs> I really wanted that money. <laughs> um, I ended up coming fifth, but mm-hmm. uh, but still pretty good yeah, result anyway. Yeah, it was a it was a pretty cool prize pool. I mean, it was PewDiePie announced it on one of his videos. Oh right. Yeah. Um, there was a, a cash prize, significantly mm-hmm. smaller than ten grand though, and and one of the other prizes was that it was going to be put into an arcade machine. Um, that still hasn't materialised. I don't think that's ever going to happen. Um, but the cool thing is somebody that I share an office with, he actually put it on his arcade machine. So I did end oh, up right. getting to play the game on an arcade machine. Oh, but yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's where that came from, sort of uh, 
bit of a long story, but it was a character that I'd made and I wanted to bring him into something else and this opportunity came along. Um, and so it came out of a game jam and then I just thought, well, I'll expand it and put it on Steam. Yeah, and actually, uh, now for listeners who have been listening to this for, for for a while, we may want to say what exactly Solvester vs. Lubizzi is. So do you want to describe it in like maybe a couple of short sentences? Yeah, so I'd say that it's a 2D uh, roguelike shooter, I suppose. It's uh, it's pretty straightforward. Um, you're, you're going from left to right, basically. Um, and when you kill enough of the horribles that are coming your way, you get some experience and then you pick a power up, you level up and then you continue. And then eventually you you have a, a one-on-one fight with the main antagonist who's Lil Beezy, who's voiced by my brother. I was living in Vietnam at the time and we were both living in Hanoi and I called him up and I said, because uh, he'd done voices for Don't Kill Death. And I said, can you come All and right. do some voices for Lil Beezy? So he came and voice little busy well that's 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 nice to hear that uh that your brother is voicing your characters anyway i've got a similar relationship with my sister like she's done the art for most of the podcast the backpack that you see in my logo uh i've 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 drawn it but she's colored it and same for the big banner that you see on twitter so yeah it's uh it's always nice to work with your siblings on some projects because yeah it's uh it's nice to keep it in the family exactly yeah exactly (laughs) Uh, so, and what is, well, you, you've already kind of answered this, this question. So, um, I, I, I expect it wouldn't be much different, but why are you a game developer? What is it that drives you forward and pushes you on every day? That's another great question. I've been thinking about this a lot, uh, lately. And I think it's legacy. And I think it's the opportunity to leave behind a body of work that I'm proud of and that people can get enjoyment out of. But it's also a way for me to put my full creative attention into something, whether it be art, story, music. Um, yeah. And I think it's, it, it's a way of being able to do something that will last longer than me i know that sounds quite deep and when you look at my work (laughs) you see sort of cartoony 2d sort of flash characters but when i think about it i think that's that's essentially what it is and a a, a bonus of that is being able to do something that i genuinely enjoy and be able to make a living out of it i mean it's it's not easy it's Sometimes it is kind of like the starving artist mentality. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's very difficult and you have to be self-motivated. But it's I, I'm extremely, extremely passionate about it. And I feel that I'm lucky enough to, uh, it's my vocation, you know. I feel like I've been lucky enough to be able to do something that I genuinely feel like I was, I was born to do. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I think it's a combination of being able to leave behind something that I'm proud of and something that I think I'm not too bad at as well and that I'm, I'm <laughs> willing to keep trying to get better at, you know. I think I think the legacy concept is so powerful and a lot of creatives uh, I'm sure will resonate with that and it's the whole reason why I write myself and a lot of reasons mm. it's it's the whole reason why a lot of other people that I've interviewed in this podcast are working on games. I mean they haven't worded it the same way. 
But a lot of people in the indie game development community, I'm sure they feel the same way. They want to do something fun, something that other people will find fun and that they can be remembered for. And I think that's that's really great. Uh, it is deep as it is deep, but uh, but but sometimes things just have to be that way. Uh, yeah, so it's, I, it's like I, I said to you, I think it's a great question and it is something that, that I have been thinking a lot about. And I... I when I get down to it, I think, well, it sounds, it does sound very kind of, um, I, I don't know, it, it may be over the top, but when it boils down to it, I just think, I just feel like that's what it is. It just feels yeah. like, um, you know, it just feels right. Yeah. And, well, you've mentioned that, um, you've connected with a lot of developers over Discord and such because, of course, you were just kind of helping each other and there was that challenge that you put yourself um, to, to do at some point. But do you have any heroes in the industry, anyone that you look up to? Yeah, I do. Um, and I wear my inspirations on my sleeve, I think. And the two main ones, I would say, were Dan Paladin, who does the artwork for The Behemoth. So mm -hmm. uh, if anyone's not familiar with them, they published uh, Castle Crashers, Battle Block Theater, Alien mm. Hominid, that kind of thing. Um, well, yeah, yeah, I could, I can see his style in your games. Actually, that's that's what they, especially in Sylvester. But yeah, absolutely, I, I, I can think see him. The, the 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 thing that I really love about uh, what Dan Paladin, along with Tom Fulp, uh, the the guy who runs Newgrounds, what I really love about what they done many years ago was they transcended Flash. They made Alien Hominid and they put it on new uh, new grounds, mm -hmm. and it got millions of views. And then they ended up, they formed a company. They published it to console. They were doing conventions in Japan, and they published a Game Boy and Xbox and all these kind of things. And that was through. I mean, Dan Paladin, as far as I'm aware, he still uses Flash MX, which is even further back than Flash Eight. So. They managed to achieve all these massive dreams. They sold millions of copies of their games. They, you know, people love their work. And it it was just through simple, uh, just 2D Flash games, essentially. Mm. Everything Everything's drawn in Flash. Castle Crash is just completely drawn in yeah. Flash MX. And that's what I find really inspiring um, with what Dan Paladin has done with his artwork. And I would say that my second main inspiration would be Edmund, Edmund McMillan. Oh, yeah, I can see him too. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, Their artwork, it just, it just makes sense. As you, see, as you say these names it, and, and I think about your game, it just makes sense that they're your heroes. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, I think what, essentially I think what I've done is I've, I've blended the sort of the, the dark characters that Ed mm -hmm. uh, is kind of known for with the colours and the sort of... Uh, the pop that Dan Paladin uh, sort of is known for. So what I've tried to do is, is kind of, because I'm not really a dark, I don't, don't think I'm a dark person. You know, I don't, <laughs> I'm not into, I don't like horror movies. I don't like, uh, I, I just don't like dark stuff, you know. Um, I like The Simpsons and I like Rick and Morty and I like colours and I like things that pop and, mm -hmm. you know, that excite that excite the brain and things like that um so i think what i've tried but what i really do love about ed's work is the honesty and sort of vulnerability in it and i, I try to meld that into something that's my own um 
but yeah, I would say that they they would be my heroes in 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 this space in the sort of indie development space. Makes absolute sense. And a lot of people look up to Edmund. I just recently watched for the first time because I had missed it the uh, indie game, the movie, the documentary oh. about him. Yeah. My uh, name's well, in the credits for that. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, right, yeah. yeah. Ba- uh, the backers, one of the backers? Yeah, as a backer, yeah. yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, okay. Nothing well, more, just... unfortunately. But... Uh, well, but just see, I've just watched it for the first time recently. I knew it was good, and I just never got around to watching it. And, of course, Edmund is part of, of, of the trio that is featured there, mm-hmm. um, alongside Phil Fish and Jonathan. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's it, it's just so inspirational to see his journey in that film as well, in that documentary. And I can see why he's one of your heroes. It's mm. definitely one of the people who um, who got out of that uni- of that documentary better than than others. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, well, I think I think we're approaching the the end of this lovely chat. And uh, there's there's one more deep question that I have for you before we we wrap up with some with a couple more fun ones, which is. Do you ever feel lonely or discouraged as an indie game developer? And if you do, how do you cope with that? Oh, wow. Um, that's, a, that's a difficult question because it, the whole nature of making indie games is almost a perpetual cycle of sacrifice. To be able to, especially with something like a game jam, i mean, when I spent that two weeks making Sylvester vs. Lil Beasy, I had to, I, could, I didn't see any friends, I didn't have any social life, I had to cut everything out. Um, I would say, yeah, most definitely, um, yeah, you, you have to, it goes back to that thing I was talking about where you have to be self-motivated. You have to know that there's an end goal, that you're doing it for a reason. Um, if, if you didn't have that in you, um then it would be very very difficult um i think you just have to weigh up whether the sacrifices are worth it or will be worth it to you in the long run um that's a difficult question uh, <laughs> question anthony but yeah i, I would think say that sort of pretty well yeah yeah i would say that there is you know there is a struggle there there is mm-hmm. a struggle there but you have to do what you you can to make it easier for yourself whether that be sort of taking care of your physical and mental health and things like that you have to try and find a balance which is difficult yeah of course and uh, now for some fun questions for you imagine yeah. writing a letter to yourself but 10 years younger what do you think you would say <laughs> oh i would say keep going <laughs> keep going because everything that you're working towards you'll find out that the entire thing is a journey. The whole thing is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, just keep going, just keep working and chipping away at it. And it's, you know, it's one, one step at a time. And then eventually you look back at it and you will see that, you know, those things that you used to dream about, they're now very real. Um, I mean, I've, I've, I, I did mention this, uh, in a, in a message to you before we started chatting that I've, through colleagues, I've now got Nintendo developer status and the game will be going on to Nintendo Switch soon, which is just unreal to me when I think about when I started making Flash games in my bedroom to be able to publish a game on a Nintendo platform. So yeah. I would say... Oh, and, and how's that going? I mean, have, have you already started with the porting, with the port uh, process or...? 
Yeah, so the pod is being handled by um, Charles Gresham. He goes by the name Six Bit Glitch, and he's he got the dev kit and he's ported it to the dev kit. Uh, he's compiled the build and he's tested it out. Um, it's essentially good to go. There's just Nintendo are very strict on. Yeah. Uh, they have some very strict policies on on the way that the games have to run and the way that it affects the hardware and things like that. So we're just polishing off all those sort of rough edges before we. Okay. Uh, get it ready to publish for good perfect okay great and uh lastly if you had unlimited budget and time what game would you create oh um probably uh it would have to be a massive open world game uh of some sort um essentially what you're saying is what is my dream game yeah exactly (laughs) um do you know what i don't know i don't no. i that's a difficult question to answer because uh I've, because of the nature of flash games and indie games you sort of you have to think sort of small scale um mm. i i that's a difficult one for me to answer anthony honestly all i know is that it would be open world okay and there would be a lot of things to do and a lot of exploration and a lot of adventure mm-hmm. but what what kind of shape that would take or what theme it would be i'd I, I I don't know. It's uh, it's totally fine. I think it's a it's a great answer. And to be fair, um, the, you're right about the nature of indies being very small in scope and and shape and and all of those. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, I feel like yeah, a lot of uh, you're not the first one who says a big open world. Some people say an MMO. Some people say pretty much the same thing I'm doing now, but bigger. Uh, so <laughs> there's there's all there's all sorts of different approaches to this question and i think yours is more than excellent so some parting words for us uh first of all i'm curious are you working or thinking about your next project already and if so can you give us a hint i've always got about three or four things on the go at the one time (laughs) you know um i'm still working on criticraft which is my uh blockchain game yeah. yeah it's essentially where you it's kind of like uh pokemon and minecraft put together you get ingredients and you craft them together to make creatures mm-hmm. um that's a perpetual thing that's ongoing and i have started work on something that i'm tentatively calling uh sewers of goose uh mm-hmm. which is the next sylvester game which is uh it's kind of like uh i guess like brotato mixed with nuclear throne this kind mm-hmm. of survival elements um uh, sort of a 2d roguelite shooter but there's a twist in that you can spend your experience points on items slightly differently than the way that's already been done but it's it's super early at the moment but um it it feels good it's nice and juicy um and i'm having fun with it i've right. just got to sort of really dig into that yeah well i'm sure in time you will find the the right approach there so yeah well Thank you so much, Chaz. It's been an amazing chat with you. It's been fun. And we've gone down so many uh, different memory lanes. <laughs> just, I do. Just talking about <laughs> Final Fantasy VII and, uh, and game magazines and all of that. So where can other people find you? And if they do, what is the best way to support you? Uh, I would say that the best way to find me would be my website, uh, madebychaz.com. Um, I'm about to launch my redesign that i've been working on for the best part of a year and that's just going to have everything on there and it's going to have links to my new grounds and my itch.io and 
it would just be the hub for all of my music and all of my games and absolutely everything. So uh, madebychaz.com. Right. And do you have a, ta- a timeline for when the website may be published, the new one? Uh, I'm hoping within the next three or four weeks. Perfect. So by the time yeah. you guys listen to this episode, the new website will already be up, I'm pretty sure. Um, uh, so yeah, well, again, thank you so much for your time, Chaz. Hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Best of luck with all your projects. And yeah, it's been such a pleasure having you on the, D- right. the Indie Diarist. I hope, I, ho- I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And that's a wrap on another episode of the Indie Diarist podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks a million to Chaz, who's been such an amazing guest and such a, such a fun one to have on the show too. Uh, so yeah, I hope I hope we will do something again, uh, together again, and maybe we'll meet over a pint to discuss Final Fantasy VII, which I'm sure we'll spend a lot of time doing. So if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. You can find it on all the major podcasting platforms, basically everywhere you get your podcasts. You can also leave a rating to support the podcast. Apparently it pleases the the gods of the algorithm or so i've heard um and yeah and if you do want to support the show monetarily you can go on patreon.com or coffee uh and uh, subscribe to a tier or leave a donations and you can find links to both coffee and patreon and also to all the social platforms where i'm most active on the indiediarist.com where you'll find a lovely and cozy landing page you can also join the discord server from there and i hope to see you soon uh especially as uh, as this community gets even bigger so so, lastly, if you're an indie game developer yourself, please get in touch at anthony at because I'm always looking for amazing stories to tell and my listeners are just as hungry as I am to hear them. I'll see you next time.